Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. My guest this week is Kim Netto, lifelong athlete and the owner of Training Inclined, a coaching business that serves athletes seeking alternative training methods and injury prevention. The reason that Kim is my guest specifically for this episode is because of her personal and coaching experience in working with athletes who are seeking to explore alternative ways of distributing their training throughout their week that doesn't always involve running. So this typically means we are talking about low run volume training in the service of relatively high volume endurance training. And as Kim has seen in her personal and professional life, it can work when done correctly. Yes, it is possible to run less, cross train more, and still continue to improve your fitness. So we talk all things cross training, alternative training, what that looks like, what low run volume technically is, the athlete profile of somebody who would be a really great candidate for exploring this type of training and more. So if you're an athlete who, for whatever reason, you keep getting injured when you try to run more, or you just genuinely enjoy methods of alternative training like biking or swimming or hiking in their elliptical, as well as running, and you've always wanted to include those things in larger volumes in your training, this way of training might be for you. And don't forget, this week is Black Friday week at Running Explained. Yes, I know, it took a day, made it a whole week. Hey, you know what? It's only good for you. Through Monday, November 27th, you are going to get amazing deals and discounts, including 30% off all masterclasses, a bonus 30-minute coaching call with all Training Plus programs, and crazy discounts on the brand new three-part Foundations of Running series. If you're a fan of the podcast, in which case, hi, hello, thank you for listening, you are going to love this foundation series. It is truly an exploration of what I consider foundational knowledge and foundational principles for endurance runners. This is the stuff that every endurance, every distance runner should know, including progressive overload, training adaptation timelines, understanding the basics of training cycles, looking at energy systems, understanding how training intensity zones work, and then of course, a deep, deep dive into my favorite topic, easy running. So you can get it now for a very deep discount All of these Black Friday deals are available through Monday, November 27th. Just head to runningexplained.co. Kim, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel it's such an honor. It's like Elizabeth Scott from Running Explained. Like, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. That's very surreal. I mean, I don't, it's funny. I still don't think of myself as a podcaster, which is, I don't know. I don't even know what what that means to think of oneself as a podcaster. Maybe it's like identifying as a runner, like you gotta identify with it and own it for your identity. Um, But I'm really excited to talk to you today because we're talking about a topic that goes, I wanna say goes against, but is definitely something that I don't think that we explore enough in the endurance running space. And that is manipulation of training volume and not assuming that more miles is always better for every athlete. But before we get started, go ahead and tell us, Kim, how did you become a runner? So I, I feel like I was born to run, except it never came easy for me. Um, I think I hit every obstacle along the way and, you know, I've had to rehab every injury, um, starting, you know, like in my twenties or so. Um, but I just was so interested in this sport from such a young age, which is really unusual. Like what young child is interested in endurance running (laughs) when they're five and six and seven, you know, it's kind of like, it's a sport where we suffer. So it's funny to have an interest in it from that young age. But, um, my parents were running, I was watching them run every day and they were, um, they were going out, it was like their morning date. And so they were going out in the mornings, um, you know, loops around the neighborhood while the four kids were, at home, um, sometimes fighting, sometimes getting along, um, sometimes making breakfast for them to surprise them. 
And um, every once in a while, I would join them for a loop. But in general, they really didn't want me to run. You know, they wanted me to wait. And so I was playing soccer. I was the kid on the field that did not want the ball to come anywhere near me, like, you know, picking dandelions um, and just kind of counting down the days until I was at the high school, which actually for me was eighth grade. I could start running. Um, so I have, I had an older, I have an older sister who was at the high school before me and I'd go to all of her meets. I was the photographer, you know, I just could not wait. So then finally eighth grade, I joined the team. Um, and I, and I finally start training too. And I had success right away. I, I you know, I was born with a, a little natural talent. Um, so even though I wasn't running a lot at that age, I was doing well. I was competing and doing well and performing well. So I continued to run like pretty low mileage in high school, 15, 20 miles a week, 25 to 30 or so, more like 25 through my senior year and and you know off of that mileage i won the state meet in massachusetts um i that was in the indoor mile um and had you know some top two finishes top five at cross country so i was doing well off of low mileage and that was also interesting to college coaches that i was running well off of that mileage um so i did end up going to um, brown university I should also say that I had no injuries when I was in high school. <laughs> um, I did. I went to so I went to Brown and I ran three seasons there, four years. Although a little bit was off and on at that point because that's when the injury started to creep in. So my my freshman year, you know, I bumped up to forty five miles per week, and then every year it was kind of adding ten miles. So I I've started to have some interrupted training. Um, structurally, I'm not perfect. You know, I have a leg length discrepancy, um, antiverted hips, tibial torsion. So there's just some stuff that I have had to kind of contend with. Um, but I still, I did okay, even with that interrupted training and just still was feeling the love for running after college. So, um, continued to compete kind of as a sub elite for the BAA, um, and, was running under a professional coach um, 70 miles a week at that point. And now the injuries are really starting to creep in. And I just, my heart was broken so many times from running. Um, and, you know, I hear this story with a lot of the runners I work with now. It's such a heartbreaker. And there's like so much trauma that comes out of um, having these injuries, recovering or going through that process of recovering and then coming back and in the the yo-yo cycle so i gave up i quit <laughs> after those few years of training after college um and then i met my husband and we had kids um and moved to the woods and i i started and actually it was my husband who inspired me to get back into training again because he started competing in um, ocr obstacle course races um, and the type of training he was doing was really interesting. I didn't want to race OCR, but I thought this is kind of fun. Um, the strength run combined workouts that he was doing, I just started copying it and I would go out to the trails because the idea of doing this on the side of the road was weird to me. Um, and I'd go to the trails and, you know, would stop for anything body weight, any body weight movements, like push-ups, jump squats, um, walking lunges. I would just try to exhaust myself. You know, every five minutes I'd stop and do that type of training. Um, I'd come back like, you know, dirt on my hands, dirt on my knees. My babysitter would be like, did you fall? Like, no, that was just my training today. Um, so then I started competing using this type of like lower volume. I wasn't running more than 30 to 35 miles a week. Um, I started competing on trails and in mountain races, so became interested in uphill racing. Um, you know, the types of races that start at the bottom of the mountain and then you finish at the top and you get a ride down <laughs> in a car or on the chairlift. Um, and did really well in mountain running off of that low mileage. And at that time I was running, you know, 35 miles, 30, 35 and then another five hours on a sit-down bike and a couple of hours of strength. So I always kind of 
considered that as like 70, 75 miles a week in my head. That was how I calculated that volume. Um, you know, so I finished like second at Mount Washington. Um, I uh, finished third at the U.S. Mountain um, Qualifying for the World Mountain Running Championships and then finished ninth there. So I, I led our team to a third place finish that year. So it was like, you know, it was like mid to mid thirties. I was 37 and um, running the best of that I had ever run and the strongest I had ever felt because I started diversifying and rethinking what training looks like. That is, I think, such a cool, first of all, it's so cool that you've explored so many different types of ways to compete because oftentimes I know with uh, runners, we tend to get very focused on one very specific goal and kind of tunnel vision towards that goal for possibly years and years and years. And there's so much to how we can love our sport in different ways. So I love that. And I hope somebody can take some inspiration from that. But I also, because today we're talking about this concept of really how to how to leverage low run volume training to still improve your performance, which is such a... I would say contrary concept to a lot of the ways that, you know, the way that we talk about getting better as a runner for a lot of runners running high mileage is sometimes a very explicit and stated goal of how they are trying to reach a specific performance outcome. Mm -hmm. And I know we're seeing more pushback, not pushback, but we're seeing more, especially like elite and sub elite athletes saying like, Hey, I'm running 65 miles per week and running a 225 marathon, you know, all these things. But up until very recently, it's been like, oh, if you want to be really good, you need to run as much as humanly possible. Everybody should try to be running, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 miles a week. Like, obviously, you should always be trying to run more. And as you've just illustrated, there comes a point where more miles We'll talk about like training volume as a separate thing, but like more miles does not always mean more effective training. So when did you really realize that like, hey, this is something that I'm like, it it can't, it uh, transitioned from this is something that I'm just kind of doing to enjoy it and, and improve my fitness to like, oh, this is how I'm training now. Um, when I was 34 or so, that's when I started training that way. And um and I was also just frustrated with like, how do I, how do I find people who can help with this type of training? Like who's, or, and the injury stuff, you know, um, cause so many runners, we know from some research that about 50% of runners are dealing with an injury every year. So we need to like, take a look at that and figure out how we can reduce that number. Um, and who's doing that? Who, who is, um, who's helping runners achieve that goal. So that was like how I became interested in, ha in working with other people. I wanted to be that person to go to because I didn't have that person to go to to figure out how this I had to kind of discover it on my own. So um, I wanted to be like the person that you could have that conversation with, like, how should I distribute my running? How Like what volume works for me? We also know from research that a 40 miles it tends to be a threshold it's not exactly 40 miles for everybody but staying below 40 is a relatively safe place to be for some people that's 20. i also have some runners that run 50 but i don't have anybody that does higher than that um so helping people figure out what their distribution is between like run miles and then what type of cross training works for them um, and then of course i build in a strength program for everybody I think it's really important that we mentioned talking about low volume training. It's specifically about a lower volume of running, but it's still like endurance requires a relatively high volume of time you're spending in your training week running and cross training and strength training. And I think this is where a lot of people really get confused about, you know, programs and you know, run a marathon on three days of training a week. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, you could, but you shouldn't be sedentary for the other four days. So if we're talking about low run volume training for these really long, for these endurance goals, these performance oriented goals and finishing a marathon in my mind is a performance oriented goal, right? Just to be clear, it's not about a specific pace. Um, 
but it's you still need training stimulus in relatively high volumes, even if it's not just from running. Absolutely. And the type of training that you add on to your running is really important too, because if you're run if you're running three days per week, then in, on the other days you're probably going to want to do more than water run. Um, it's got to be something that's a little bit more weight bearing. Although there's good research around water running and um, that it does uh, prevent detraining, and so then we can extrapolate and you know understand that it's good uh, supplemented training. But if your mileage is low. Then it, and then you're combining um, alternative style training. And I like to call it alternative because it's, it's just training. It's not cross training. It's just run. It's our, we're training to run. So we've got to redefine how we think about training. And so we'd call it alternative training. So what would that look like? So I would have them as whatever they're capable of doing for a long run, we're going to find out. We're going to see like what's your sweet spot where we can have you um, stay pain free. Um, because if, if I'm working with somebody who can only run three days a week, probably they're limited because of the history, you know. Um, so we're going to see what we can do with the long run. And if it can't be a full run, long run, then we're going to do a combo effort. So something back to back with running, which could be depending on how far they can go. It could be cycling, it could be um, ellipticaling, or it could be elliptigoing, um, weightlifting. And we're just gonna treat that as one full session without rest in between. Or sometimes I might even have them, you know, do three segments where they run, and then if they're not capable of doing a run workout, so some pace miles, then we might do something like elliptical in the middle or biking and then come back to running for the end. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know how much I love Prevenix and their amazing products. And now I wanted to call out something that they are doing because Prevenix is running one of their biggest sales of the year during Black Friday, where everyone gets 20% off everything on Prevenix.com. So if you've been thinking about giving it a try, maybe sitting on the fence, or you're one of my listeners who I know have started taking Prevenix and you've also been seeing great results, now is the time to place an order. Prevenix's Black Friday sale starts on Friday, November 24th and runs through the weekend. As always, Prevenex offers a 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't feel the actual benefits, you're going to get a full refund, no questions asked. And for those of you who DM me asking what I personally take from Prevenex, aside from the probiotic, which I hope at this point you all know that I absolutely love, I also take the multivitamin, the omega, and the joint health supplements on a daily basis. So use code BF2023. That's code B as in boy, F as in Frank. 2023 starting this Friday, November 24th to lock in 20% off at Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. So do you, when you're thinking about this, is it something, is I one of the, I'm going to take the framework. We're not talking about multi-sport training. This is not a conversation about training for something like a triathlon, but there, I think there is obviously kind of training principles that can inform how we utilize alternative training in a low run volume framework and that we're looking at session duration and session intensity. So how do you communicate that to your athletes and talking about we'll be biking for this duration, these are our intensity targets, like how does that work? I mean, a lot of uh, the, this idea behind alternative training came from triathlons. They became popular in the, you know, in the seventies. And then people started to see this crossover effect. Like I am a marathoner who just trained for a triathlon and came back to running and my performance didn't suffer. Um, so then some good research came out of the 1990s. Like it's still good. I still look at that research because um, this is when we started to get interested in this idea that we can get a crossover effect from um, multi-sport training, even though we're not specifically training for a triathlon. You know, so um, like in an ideal world, what I would what I would have a runner do is, so in, in if you're training for a triathlon, you are trying to perform in all three events. But um, when we're using those those activities to 
trained for running, they're just supporting our running. So we don't need to get better in those other activities. So, you know, in an ideal world, the extra training, the um, diverse training is, it's just extra zone two. And you're still doing your run workouts. You know, you have your two run workouts in your long run, and then you're kind of filling in all the blanks with um, diverse training. And another thing that I just like about that approach is that it's a lot easier to monitor effort in um, in alternative training. So like if we're cycling, we can coast. If we're elliptic going, we can coast. <laughs> it's just easier to back off and keep effort truly in zone two. I mean, I know you talk about this on your podcast all the time, and you know that this is a hot topic for me too. And for a lot of people, it's like, how do we convince runners to spend more time in zone two? Um, and so that is ideally how we would use this extra training is to just the lower uh, lower intensity effort. And that's not always true because it does depend on um, what the background of that athlete is and what their current and um, you know their current injury history is. That's really fascinating to think. So essentially, in this in this framework, we're really replacing what in another training program would be the easy runs, right? So, you know, the easy, oh, my Monday easy run, my Wednesday easy run, that becomes alternative training sessions. And if you were to go run for an hour in zone two on Monday, instead it becomes an hour in zone two biking or elliptigo or your alternative method of training. Yeah. So, I mean, if we could like, if we could break down the type of athlete that this works for, the first type of athlete, they're already low volume. You know, they're, they run 20, maybe 30 miles a week. Um, and that works for them. They have no interest in running more. They, or maybe they don't have time or maybe like running more makes them tired. Um, so great. Um, for that athlete, I'm probably not going to add, you know, if you're 20 miles a week, I'm not going to say, well, you need to stop, you need to take some of that out and, um, and do cross training instead. Um, you know, and then I have the runner who, has a history of high mileage and they like high mileage. They have time for it, the energy for it, and we know they respond well to it. Um, but they don't have a big injury history. So with that athlete, they are going to supplement, they're going to remove some of their mileage and instead they're going to do, um, a run specific cross train and still do their workouts, um, and long run. And, and like normal, like you, like you and I might, well, maybe you, not me, because <laughs> I am one of those athletes that needs to modify a little bit more. Um, and then we have a, the third athlete who does have a big, you know, history. And so that that's the one where we can play around more with what we're doing with um, alternative training. So for some that might look like one run workout per week and one cross train workout per week. And maybe we are combining some types of training to create a better long run, you know? So that one is gonna look really different depending on what the history is of that, that runner. Um, and then the fourth type of athlete is injured and they can't run at all. And they're using cross training um, to avoid detraining. But the nice thing about that athlete is maybe they came from, you know, the category where they were, they were using diverse training. So they just are ready to jump right in to alternative training every day because they already had that planned. You know, they already know what works for them. They're already comfortable with it. Um, and so they're, they're just going to use uh, alternative training every day to avoid detraining, which is actually very successful. We can avoid detraining um, for like four to eight weeks if we mimic run training, um, except on an alternative, like, you know, elliptigo, even some water running. Yes, it's not my favorite, but <laughs> um, by just mimicking the, the sessions that you would do if it's safe. So your two workouts, your long run, your easy efforts, and we can avoid detraining. A question that I, I sometimes get, and I understand why it's being asked, is when we talk about the importance of spending a lot of time building your aerobic capacity and aerobic development and why zone two, this sub-aerobic threshold is so important as an endurance runner, 
um, that, you know, for a lot of runners, they really struggle to maintain a continuous running pace in zone two. And so they do run walk, which is completely appropriate. Like, awesome, do it. But some runners don't like that. And then I get the question, can't I just do this on a bike instead? Can't I just cross train for my zone two instead? And I want to get your opinion on this because I think it obviously depends on the history of the athlete. And what I typically say to them is, you know, doing, we'll call it alternative training, right? Supplemental training in zone two can definitely help you improve that zone, but there are still biomechanical and neuromuscular benefits to running in that zone that you aren't going to get if you're exclusively doing all your zone two work on not running. Um, so like I, I encourage them not to essentially give up on zone two just because they can't run continuously there. So I'd want to kind of get your perspective on that situation and also say kind of when, you know, when it's more appropriate to do the alternative training versus like, yeah, you probably should be running on this for this reason for easy runs. Yeah, that's a good question. It depends on the type of training they choose too. So the more run specific the training is, the better. So I mean, I know I have a soft spot for elliptigo because it's what I choose. Um, and so that is really close to uh, run form. Um, so we do get a good crossover effect when, when we choose that type of um, tool. And so that's a good choice for like those zone two days where and this was in my notes too to bring up like the runners they don't want to walk, and so when I when I mention um, being able to control effort and we can control effort easier when we cross train, so it is a good choice. Should it be used for every session? If the runner is capable of having some mileage in there that is um, you know that's going to be lower effort. And I'm just talking about what kind of volume we're looking at with that runner, then yeah, they should have some lower effort um, running. And it's just good discipline too to practice um, that it, you know, that it's okay to walk up a hill. Like most runners are going to need to walk up a hill to stay in zone two. As a mountain runner, an uphill athlete, I need to walk to stay in zone two. Um, so do I always love it? No, <laughs> but it is good practice. So having a combination of both would be ideal, but sometimes that's not always possible and the runner needs to do all of their cross training on all of their alternative training um, on a, you know, a, a different option. I mean, Parker Valby is a good example of that. She, um, she has a really neat story that's really inspiring. Um, so leading into, you know, Parker Valby is college D1 athlete and leading into NCAA outdoor, um, she was going to race the 5K and she like, she had a broken foot. So she only started racing three, uh, sorry, running three weeks before um, the meet. And she did all of her work on uh, the arc trainer, swimming and biking. And she came in second to Caitlin Tui. Then she had a very similar story leading into NCAA's um, 2022, where I don't know what her injury was, but she was doing um, two runs per week. Those were her workouts. And then all of her other training was on the ARC trainer. And she finished second to Caitlin again. So it does work. And I mean, she's a young example. So I think like... Um, I do get a little bit curious about how age is plays a role in this too. Um, and like some of the research too is, it's not that it's on younger, but it's a mix, you know? So it will be interesting to see how, what research looks like for master's athletes and how, and yes, we like injury prevention, but I'm also curious about how, what it looks like for performance. But anyway, Parker is a good example of somebody who did all of their zone two training um, using alternative methods. How hard is it for you to convince athletes to back off on high, high mileage? Often they're coming to me because <laughs> they know, you know, I have a reputation that this is the style and approach that I use. Even in my athletes that can, they you know, can they, I can handle 70 miles a week, they say. I can do it. I'm like, well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm glad you can. But when we know that um, higher mileage 
like 40 and plus increases our injury risk. You know, about 50% get injured each year. And then we know that um, once you have that injury, that predicts your next injury. So you have a hamstring injury. Well, we know what your next injury is going to be. Um, you have uh, shin splints. So like, okay, we know you're probably going to get that again. So your, your, your lower limb injury predicts your future lower limb injury. So we, don't, we want to avoid that injury in the first place. So that's great that you can handle your 70 miles a week. But if you want longevity in the sport, it doesn't mean to just go forward as usual. You know, we can still rethink if there's other ways that this will work so that you're still running and competing and doing the thing that you love to do 10, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You know, you want to be like that cool person, the 90 year old that's being featured um, because they're still racing. So it can be hard, but usually people are coming to me um, because they have a, you know, they're curious. Yeah, like some things. And I, I mean, I find that too. Sometimes people who end up in wire world, you know, it's because something's not working. And it's lovely. And I love it when we get people who are being proactive. They're like, nothing's really wrong. I just want to make sure that nothing continues to be wrong and I can keep, you know, pursuing my goals and, and achieving the things I want to achieve, you know, but sometimes, like you said, it is people who are like, okay, I give up. Like, just tell me I'm so sick yeah. of being in this place. I'm so sick of getting injured all the time or like being in this plateau or being like, I'm, I'm sick. I'm, I will do whatever you tell me to do, even if it goes against all the things I've done in the past. Exactly. Um, you know, and I have this argument with other coaches too, where they, there, I know there are plenty of coaches out there it's if you have more time, run more, you know, um, and I mean, it's going to it will work for a while and maybe it's going to work forever, but I'm not going to take that risk with the people who I work with. And I think it's tough when we as recreational, normal, amateur people are looking at what some of the finest runners in the world are doing and invariably they are running much higher mileage, even quote unquote, low mileage professional athletes, professional runners tend to run much more in their weeks than a, you know, an average, you know, half marathoner. So, you know, when you have somebody who's a, a professional and elite runner come out and say, you know, I'm only running 60 to 70 miles this week. The message that I think the everyday runner hears is, oh, that's like nothing. That's everybody should be, you know, that it feels like it's only 60 to 70 miles when for most people that's a mileage they might not even ever peak at in any single high volume training cycle for sure i mean most of us have jobs and many of us have families or working you know five to eight uh, sorry uh, eight to five or six and so that's just not realistic and the the fatigue you would carry from that type of training is just not sustainable um but it's always fun when there are examples that come out of somebody who runs lower mileage like uh, beth potter is an example she's a scottish runner and in 2021 i think she ran a 1441 5k so just that's 444 pace like it's so mind-blowingly fast and um she was running 30 miles a week and she i mean okay but there's the butt there because she was putting in a ton of aerobic work uh, on the bike and swimming i think maybe elliptical too so she was still her training volume was 25 to 30 hours per week. But I just love this. I love, I know it's still, well, she's also, I think, you know, she's a triathlete too. So triathlete mentality is you train 20 hours per week. Um, but I just love that she was able to run so ridiculously fast off of 30 miles per week. That's it. That's our stories. They exist. Blazing fast. Yes. <laughs> And I think the trouble too, though, is that we look at that and say, you know, people focus on the, she's only running 30 miles per week. And then we point to the, oh, it's the talent. Oh, it's the genetic predisposition. But it's like, I don't know, most people could handle 25 hours per week of any training volume, much less 30 miles a week of running and then filling in the rest with low impact. Yeah. 
personally, I'm not interested in <laughs> training that much. Um, so much training. <laughs> yes. But I definitely have had runners say, oh, I don't have the talent to run. Like if I drop down in miles, then I'm not going to run as fast. And I say, well, what have you tried? You know, tell me what you've done. So if 70 usually works for you or 80 or whatever, um, have you, what have you tried um, in terms of like reorganizing your week? And then it's like crickets. Or <laughs> what, you know, what would happen if you came down to 40, which is like a pretty safe threshold, and then you had consistency in your training for two, three, four, five years. Like you've never seen that before. What would that look like for you? And they just don't want to take the risk. Or not risk, but they, they don't believe it, that, that it's going to work. I think mileage can feel like a safety blanket sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there is always so much. It's like no, nobody writes about the people. They're just not as interesting that are um, doing very moderate training. So if, if someone's running like 130 miles a week, that's a story. It's really interesting, you know, and it's kind of mind blowing. And, um, and then it makes anything that's below that seem like, oh, that should be doable for me. So thinking back to the runner and it could be 70 miles a week, let's say 50 miles a week, but it's, it's not. And I think the key here is that the sustainability factor, right? Okay. So maybe you went through one training cycle where that worked for you, but you've never been able to put a training cycle together, a consistent one since then at that same volume, when you're talking to these runners and kind of ask, well, what have you tried? Is it typically that they've just been running less and not really replaced it with anything else like oh but i i've run less and then you're saying well you didn't you didn't fill in the gap like we don't need to we can't train less we just need to do a little bit less running a little bit more of something else yeah if that runner likes high volume they know they respond well to it well actually let's say high mileage if they respond well to high mileage and they like it they have the time for it the motivation all of those other pieces and then they pull back and they just try lower mileage, it's probably not going to feel as satisfying, one, like you're going to lose confidence, two. Um, and then, yeah, there is like a, a association with higher volume and performance. So if you are a high volume responder and you've cut out some of your volume, that probably is going to hurt your performance. But we can throw that volume back in by just choosing something that is... Um, run specific, even training that isn't super run specific, like swimming, there's still a good crossover uh, effect with swimming, um, which, I mean, it's never my first choice, <laughs> swimming or water running, um, but there's still a good crossover effect with th that type of training. So it's like, it can be run specific, but it can also be swimming if that's the type of activity you enjoy that that's a big piece is like what do you like what is close to running your second favorite type of training let's get that in there or like what's your easiest point of entry do you own a bike you know um do you have access to the gym um it's gotta um it's gotta be easy and what about the person who says no running's my only love i only love to run <laughs> I hate everything else. Everything else is boring. Everything else sucks. Mm -hmm. How do we get them to let go or try to try? Whereas you don't know if you don't try, right? Right. Um, for, with someone like that, if they've tried a lot of different options and they're just not into it, then let's try something you haven't tried. You know, there are other things like um, more like novelty type training, like a ski erg. Um, uh, what else? I mean, a lot of runners like haven't tried a rowing machine or a lot, like one of my favorite types of cross training, and it is a little, maybe this a boring option, but in um, incline hiking on the treadmill, like bump it up to 15% or even higher if it goes higher. Um, and then just hike at that, at a low speed. It's, you're not running, it's just walking. Um, and then strength training, like if, cause I do consider that alternative training. Like I, 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 I piece that into the full picture. Um, when I think about training, it's just as important as you're running. So that might be another place where we could replace some of their run volume with something that is going to help them with running economy. Cause we know that strength training 
um, helps with running economy. And then if they start to see suddenly that seven minute pace looks a little different, like it feels different, you can you can convince people if they start to see little results in their their training. Let's talk about why, like, why are we even talking about this? We're talking about like runners who are injury prone. And I think the, the tricky thing about this is like, what is it about running a whole lot that can be more than some people are going to be able to safely do? Well, I mean, I'll go back to how we know that about 50% of runners get injured by the end of each year. It's running is a hard sport. Um, our body leaves the ground, which means that when it comes back to the ground, you're landing with more force than the weight that you carry. So it is a a very hard sport. And um, what we kind of touched upon before too, hard to um, manage effort. So often when we're running, like a, a typical runner isn't truly disciplined to manage their effort appropriately throughout the week. So we're like always pushing a little too hard and creating more fatigue. And when we create more fatigue, um, then we're not recovering and we're setting ourselves up for that injury that 50% of us get <laughs> at the end of each year. Um, so it is a high risk sport, but it's also one that um, is so accessible. And so it's like one of the few sports that we can do as adults, you know, Um, uh, and adults tend to be, you know, a little bit more mature. So a lot of people are okay with this idea of thinking about how to redefine how we train and prepare for an event, um, because they have either experienced their own heartbreak. I mean, it's a heartbreaking sport, (laughs) um, how many runners do you know that didn't make it to the starting line? It's probably happened to you. It's happened to me. And so if we can avoid that heartbreak and avoid those uh, the, the time off from training, then we are going to have, ultimately, we're going to have a better performance, even performance aside, emotionally and mentally, if I can keep my athletes running um, at their lower volume, whether that's low low volume, like not any extra training, or that we have figured out a a combination of a couple of different activities that work for them. My goal is always going to be to keep my athletes healthy so that they can just like manage life too. (laughs) Something I talked so much about with my runners is like, you know, we're here we're all, we all have real lives, right? And, and running should fit into your life, not the other way around. And like, yeah, there are going to be some times when you're making sacrifices and going to bed early and you got the big race, but like, this is not your job. I don't care how much you love it. You know, you have other stuff going on too. Definitely. Um, and you know, for me, most of the people I work with a lot of women actually, um, and they're moms and they work full-time jobs. Um, so this is just one piece of their lives. Um, it's not everything. Maybe it was more to them when they were younger and didn't have all the other responsibilities, but now we need to manage the types of training that we do so that we can keep going, you know, um, because that's when we're happy. Runners are happy when they're, when they're running, not when they're cross training every single day (laughs) because they're injured. Unfortunately, I think a lot of runners have associations with cross-training from dealing with injury, which then kind of gives a negative, well, I don't want to do that because that means that I'm injured or they have this kind of negative, like, oh, that time I had to spend six weeks only biking and now I hate biking, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, having an option that gets you outside is really helpful. So like biking is an indoor and outdoor option. So I really like biking for that reason. Elliptigoing is an indoor outdoor option. Um, so, you know, if we have bad weather, we still have an option, but ideally we're, we are still getting fresh air, you know, and still like still working and um, just getting that feel of the run. It might not be quite as good, but it's, it's close. It's really close. So I think, you know, it can be hard to find the activity um, that feels most similar to running and gives you that feel. 
But it's there. It's like just a matter of giving it a chance and maybe letting go of some options that you did try when you were younger. Like for me, I kind of have a, um, a negative feeling towards water running because that was our choice um, when I was in college. It was like, oh, you're, you're injured. Let's put you in the pool for a month. Um, and I did it a little bit as an adult, but then I also learned too that it's not the best option. Um, so, you know, if I'm, if, if I could give some advice, you know, when my runners are saying, what should I choose? Um, my choice, my first choices are cycling, elliptogoing, uphill, um, hiking, um, elliptical, stair climber. Those are, I mean, outdoor uphill hiking is good too, but then you have to come down and that's not always safe for everyone because of the eccentric loading. And then weight, and then of course, strength training too is on that list. <laughs> and obviously, you know, strength training is not a cardio uh, session, but the other ones, like you said, we're trying to really be consistent in staying in that zone too. Do you find... Let me, okay, I want to ask you this. Obviously, the answer is going to be it depends, but broadly speaking, is there a minimum frequency of runs per week that you'd like most runners to be able to maintain? Yes. So I do like my runners to run four days per week. Um, now, sometimes I have runners doing every other day, so they're, they're more like getting in three because we also take a day off. I'm also a coach who programs in a day off every week, Mondays off, not always Mondays, but usually I do Mondays because we tend to train a little harder over the weekend for those who work a normal um, work schedule. Um, we take Mondays off. So I do like um, the four day run schedule best. So that would mean one back to back run. Um, and that's for my lower end runners. Typically what I like to see is two days on one day cross train, three day, three days on. And even on those, those running days, they might be combo days, but you're still running. Um, so that that's like in an ideal schedule, it's run five days per week, two days on one day, alternative training, three days running. And I, I'm sure that we have listeners going but I currently, four days of running per week, like, is my current maximum. Like, am I supposed to add cross-training to that? You know, if somebody's running, let's say, you know, 18 or 19 miles per week over four days, they might be confused by this about, wait, hold on, how does this apply to me? It might not. <laughs> um, if, if they are satisfied with their current volume and they don't feel like they have the time, the energy, or the motivation to do more then you know, that's where they are. But if they're running that mileage because anything above it causes a flare up of an old injury um, or causes them to have a new injury, then we can start thinking about what other types of training can we add in there to beef up your volume, but that's not gonna risk um, you sustaining an injury. So if they're running four days then um, I would have two extra days if they can tolerate that uh, cross training, or maybe it, maybe also adding something to their long run if if they're struggling to get their long run where it should be based on whatever their goals are. If it's performance goals or just that they have a long run in their head that they want to do, but you can't do it all in running. Well, we can recreate that long run by adding other types of training. So that's how I would answer that question or like um, recommend that runner to just add in training based on um, your time, you know, your motivation, um, your injury history, and figuring out what type of training you have access to. It's interesting that you mentioned that kind of 40 mile per week threshold is really when we talk about the threshold of when really starts to become high volume. I tend to see a threshold around the 20 mile per week range when it is exactly what you just talked about. Runners who are running 
four-ish days a week. And essentially, every time they try to run more than that, run slightly more than 20 miles per week, they end up with an injury or just feeling just like crap all the time. They're exhausted. Everything's starting to suffer. And I want to point back to what you said about, well, you're probably not running your easy days easy enough. So it's like, well, let's troubleshoot that and making sure right. what you are doing is appropriate, right? Because we know runners love to run everything just a little bit too fast every single day of the week that they go for a run. So that's the first place that I'd look. But especially if we have somebody who says, oh, hand to God, I am doing this properly. I swear my easy days are easy. My workout days are appropriate for my experience and my current training volume. And yet I still struggle to increase my running volume. This sounds like a perfect candidate for somebody who could add in some alternative cross training days for other for more training stimulus throughout their week. Definitely. I have fallen into that category many times myself where my threshold has been 20. I've sometimes my threshold has been 30. Sometimes it's been 35. Um, but very often it's been 20. And so I just surround it <laughs> with the lip to going. Um, and I do a little bit of uphill hiking on the treadmill, but really a lip to going is my go-to because I want to be outside. Um, so I like to choose something that puts me outside most of the time. But yeah, so that I agree. It's like, it's a little different for everyone. It's like 40 maybe where the research shows, but like in practice, and it sounds like similar for you, it's a 20 to 40. So some of my runners can like 30 is what they can do and safely where I know we're going to hit 30 every week, like without um, a major risk. And then as soon as we start creeping, above that, then, you know, oh, that hamstring injury that I've been dealing with for literally 15 years, it starts to, to creep in. Um, so part of that is figuring out, like really knowing your body and what your limits are, uh, what you can tolerate, and then not constantly trying to push that limit. Instead, just work with it, you know, Feel proud of the 20 miles that you can do and then find that second option that is almost as good as running. I had a conversation with my one of my athletes recently and we're, we're going through a kind of a longer rehab process for an issue that's actually unrelated to running. But long story short, you know, we're being really consistent about the running that she is doing, you know, but she asked me, like, what are like, what are you like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And I said, the goal right now is consistency week over week, right? We are looking for, can we, can we get a bunch of weeks, you know, with down weeks interspersed between them, where essentially we're doing what we should be doing and it feels relatively good. We're not like, you know, off for a week because we're totally burned out. We're not having runs, multiple runs in a row that feel like absolute garbage. And like the goal is consistency and feeling good, not how much can I run? How fast can I run? And I think so often we are chasing the shiny object and forgetting that the consistency is the most important thing. I don't care if you went and like PR'd your, you know, workout on the track yesterday, if you, you can't run for the next four days because you're so exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I run into that too, where it's like, we don't have a race on the calendar right now. So we're just going to work on your foundations, you know, we're going to load your bones. We're going to load your tendons. Um, we're going to work on muscle strength and just kind of crawl our way back in a way that doesn't, um, give a lot of setbacks. So maybe it could be a couple of steps forward and one back, but overall we're moving forward and starting to feel good about, about training again. Um, and then also like, learning to trust your body during that time where you're coming back, there's a lot, you've lost a lot of trust, you know, it's like your body, um, it, uh, it hurt you. <laughs> it's like, it hurt your, it hurt you emotionally. And there's a lot of worry about, um, if that's going to happen again, or if something else is going to pop up and you're going to lose running again. So that, that time is like, it's about loading your bones and your, your muscles and creating stronger, um, tendons and it's also about building trust back with your relationship with with running how do you talk to your athletes i know one of the things that you said is much easier to control with alternative methods of training because it's they're non-weight bearing is you can much more easily control and refine 
you know, where your effort is, what zone you're in, what intensity you're focusing on. But I also know that runners tend to struggle with what different efforts feel like in general, like not just on in like, you know, on the bike, but like they really don't have a great idea of what different run efforts supposed to feel like. So, you know, how do we how do you work with them on on what you they should be aiming for? You know, are we looking at heart rate? Are we looking at breathing? Like, you know, what's the what's the uh, equivalency? Yeah, that's a good question. And I do both. And honestly, runners are so terrible at this that I end up spending a lot of time looking at heart rate data and being like, too hard, too hard, too hard. Um, See this here where it just kind of rises continuously throughout the, that's not what we wanted to see on this run. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it is tricky when we are used to a certain heart rate in running, it's not going to look exactly the same because like cycling is only partially weight bearing. Uh, elliptogoing is a little bit more weight bearing. Um, so heart rate is going to get close, but it's not going to get quite as high. So your zones are going to look different, you know? Um, I mean, you can always do a, a zone test, but those are kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> so we don't really have to do a zone test. I think, you know, we just need to pay attention. If you start to pay attention to your heart rate every single day, you get a sense of what what your range looks like and with your coach too i think it's helpful to have a coach help figure out um what your range is especially when you're talking about range and running range and you know this other type of activity that i'm doing um i find that like when i'm on the elliptigo my heart rate is like five beats lower than than it is when i'm running um so the zones do look different Um, and some of my athletes don't want to look at heart rate. And so we do a little bit of like, um, what your breathing should be like, you know, and depending on what the the effort is that day. So there is a little bit of that. I prefer heart rate because I want, I want it to be more concrete. Um, but sometimes we do just talk about effort or even we take carefree days too. Because I want my athletes to not always have to stare at their watch. So a carefree day, I, I, I would describe that as like a mix of zone two and three. But I say like, just don't even, it should be kind of a lower effort, but it's also going to be a little bit moderate because you are, you are going to run up the hill, you know, and I'm not going to tell you not to. Um, so it's going to be a carefree day. I mean, anybody knows my work. I know I'm a huge fan of using heart rate in training, but I think what sometimes, and I love what you said is that, you know, it's to help understand what's what's really going on the concrete thing is that i want i find it a really great accountability tool right like especially for us runners who are very good at convincing ourselves like no this totally feels easy <laughs> oh no this is totally like this is totally sustainable for sure yeah no it's not um and i also the other thing too is that you know it, it, but you're not supposed to stare at your watch for the rest of your life right it is supposed to teach you what different effort zones feel like so that all you then have to do is just kind of check in occasionally like it's a teaching tool right yeah i totally agree with that i want you know, you only need to do maybe like a a a, a bigger um, um, dedication to heart rate training, like once or twice a year. Just pay attention, learn what at what it feels like to have heart rate one twenty five, one thirty, which is where most people's zone two is. You know, learn what it feels like to be um, in the zone three effort. And what it feels like, you know, the, the higher efforts, we don't mess up as much. Like you run fast, you're, you know, <laughs> your heart rate's going to be high. It's, we really just need to focus and pay attention to what those recovery days are supposed to feel like and how that matches up with heart rate. Cause it's usually a mismatch. Um, and that we think we're having that recovery effort, but, but your heart rate says it's 150 the whole time. So <laughs> And then once you get that sense, you know, put the heart rate away and check in again in a few months. And this is also, I think, where the uh, just because it's not hard doesn't mean it's easy. I can't tell you many runners I've described like, and how did it feel? in the context of a run that we want to keep in our easy effort zone. They're like, well, it wasn't hard. <laughs> like that's not the same as it feeling easy. There's this, this kind of middle zone 
that a lot of runners like, you know, our, our moderate zone that a lot of runners confuse for being easy because it's quote unquote, not hard. And then they get on the bike or they get on the elliptico and they're going at truly easy effort. And it feels like they're not doing anything because they have no idea what easy is actually supposed to feel like. Yes, it's there's so much discipline behind zone two low effort training um, that you, you'd almost need a second person to keep poking you. like. Um, because on your own, you can convince yourself that you're good. This is easy for me. But when someone else is reviewing your, your weekly training and they're looking at how your heart rate matches up with what that training session was supposed to be, um, it's usually eye opening for them. Yeah. I mean, I think any run coach is used to the most common feedback we give was, Hey, let's just try to slow down a little bit. This looks a little bit too fast or, Hey, it looks like you're working a little bit too hard on this run. We want to keep it really easy effort here. Yeah. With the runners who I struggle to get them to pull back, I end up giving them um, pace caps, which Mm -hmm. isn't, it's not the same as heart rate, but I just want them to see, you know, like maybe they're running their easy day at 8.45 8.45 pace. And I'm like, but your marathon pace is 8.30 pace, you know? So I'm, I'm like, just not, don't look at your heart rate, but I'm giving you a pace cap of eight, of 10 minute pace today, you know? So it's a compromise. And even sometimes the 10 minute pace isn't zone two, but we're compromising and trying to kind of slowly um, make progress towards that goal because it does not happen overnight. No. This stuff takes a long time. (laughs) I mean, I even fall into the trap if I'm not specifically training for a race and not um, really disciplined. I I fall into it where I just don't look at heart rate. Um, And I know I'm working a little too hard for a couple of months. And then then I get a race on the calendar. It's like, okay, I need to pull back. So I do think there are certain times of the year when – if you're not integrating a typical training schedule with those couple of workouts and um, your training just looks more moderate, like more zone three, but you don't have the real high intensity stuff, okay. But eventually it makes sense to organize it in a way like where we actually can see performance gains. And I also think it's the why behind all of this is one thing, you know, I, and I, so I'm coming off and recovering from a half marathon I did last month. And there've been some runs where I'm like, yeah, definitely more zone three, but I'm also running like half as much volume as I typically run in a training cycle. And my runs are much shorter, right? I'm running for 40 minutes, not 70 minutes, you know? And so kind of thinking like, yeah, like it's okay to go a little bit faster here because I, I know what, I kind of know what the balance should look like. I know that if I've overdone it one day and you do like really pull back on the next. And I think this is very different from somebody who is like, oh, she said it's okay to run in zone three all the time. Oh, good. Cause I hate zone two. It's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's yeah. not what coach Kim said. <laughs> yeah. With my, um, my lower volume athletes, like if I have a runner who's, and I do have runners that just do 15, maybe, you know, maybe 20, but maybe they only do 15 miles per week. I am not as strict with their, um, their zone two, like the more mileage you do, you have to be careful with, uh, with making sure that balance isn't thrown in the wrong direction. But if you're only running 15 miles per week, I'm going to be a lot more lenient with zone three work. Because you are, I mean, it's one of those things where, especially for somebody who's newer, but even if you're not newer, you've been doing this for a while, you know, it all works, right? And I think it's the point here is that like, yeah, you still get an aerobic stimulus in zone three. It's just that when we're working towards an intentional thing and increasing volume, how we apply that stimulus in the context of all the training load, it becomes really important. And like, I think we've all had this experience. I know I have, you know, I was new. I ran everything in zone three or four or five for like probably a year. And I still made big progress, right? And then eventually it, it stops working and, and you you have to make some changes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a tricky thing too, because we spend all this time being like training properly, periodization, all this stuff. And then it's like, but this is where the kind of the fuzzy areas are. It's like, yeah, but there's a lot of different ways your actual week could look depending on who you specifically are. Yeah, definitely. And then where you are in that season too. Like right now you're having a more carefree training experience and that's probably pretty fun 
Um, I love not having to walk up all the hills in my neighborhood anymore. This is great. I'm running them and I'm definitely not in zone two. (laughs) Yes. You needed that break from really disciplined training. So um, I do think it's important to, uh, to put in like schedule in some more carefree type training throughout the year so that then you're really ready to focus on how you're going to balance the recovery effort training with workouts. Absolutely. Can't just do the same thing every single week and expect for it to work. Sometimes some things have to change over time, that progressive overload. Absolutely. This is so cool. See, Kim, this is these are the conversations I'd love to have because I think it really shows people there are so many different ways that we can approach the goals that we are trying to achieve rather than saying like, this is the one way to train. This is the only way to train. It's like, there are so many ways that we can craft training for an individual runner, as long as we get creative and really understand what their needs are. It can be the difference between making it to the starting line and not making it there, you know? Um, So if we can give up this idea that running mileage is be all end all um, and instead change that to running volume, I'm sorry, training volume, um, then we could get more likely to get you to that starting line. It does not have to be more than 20 to 40 miles per week. I love it. Kim, thank you so much for your time today. This was a really great conversation. You are such a great resource and wealth of information. So if somebody is interested in learning more from you or working with you, where can they do that? Uh, I'm on Instagram, which is how you found me. <laughs> um, so I am at Kim Netto underscore training inclined. And right now my, um, my coaching roster is full, um, but I can do, I do one-on-one Zoom calls or in-person appointments. Um, and we didn't even talk about this, but I, I like, I love muscles. (laughs) And so I like to do muscle testing and then, um, come up with like really solid run specific rehab plans for athletes who are experiencing injury. So like all research-based type of work. Um, and I can do that over zoom or in person. And then I have some group programs. I have my, my strength intervention program for runners that is all based on that work that I do. So like because I'm using a dynamometer to test for strength, which gives me a measurement in pounds, um, then I know, you know, when I see an athlete six weeks later, I know what exercises work. So I created this run specific strength program that balances performance and injury prevention. Um, So I'll be starting that up in January. And then um, because I'm a master, I am also interested in working with other masters, women. Um, So I'll have a, I'm gonna be starting this program again that I'm just finishing up right now, which is um, like a coaching program for masters athletes. Um, And it's also just kind of like educational based because it's a different phase of life and training looks a little different at this age. Um, and then I'll have a Mount Washington group program too. So, so cool. So that, those are the options for now. <laughs> I, I never know it. what I'm going to add next. <laughs> That's the fun part of having your own business. You're like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I get ideas from other people too. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe a master class. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.